When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. This is the Steelers Standard on Steelers Nation Radio and Podcast on Steelers.com. You mentioned this uh, in the first episode today, Jacob, but 1983 was the last time oh. that the Steelers went to Seattle and won. Now, of course, they don't play the Seahawks very often, uh, once no. every four years. Uh, it could be sooner now because of the introduction of that fifth NFC matchup uh, to the Randy, schedule. They just played each other. They just did that, right? Ago. Right? They were yeah. the, they were the extra opponent. I think the first year they that were. they did that, they were the fir- the extra right, opponent yeah. for the Steelers. The Seahawks came to Pittsburgh. Uh, Pittsburgh won that matchup. Uh, this matchup is dead even. 20 meetings, 10 and 10. I wow. mean, I give a little bit of weight to the Steelers in one of those meetings. It meant just a little bit yeah. more, maybe. Is that, is that included? Yes. Is, this, is that just regular season? That's included. That all time? 10 and 10, gotcha. all time. Uh, 10 wins for the Steelers, 10 wins for the Seahawks. Of course, Super Bowl 40 going in the Steelers' favor. Our I mean, first... I'm sure Seattle would rather be 1 and 19 with that one win coming in 05, 06. Rather than just ten and ten and having that one loss be Super Bowl forty, uh, I agree with that. Yes, <laughs> uh, Super Bowl forty though the first Super Bowl for us that we remember uh, Steelers yep. playing in and Steelers winning. Ben Roethlisberger sneaking into the end zone. Was he in? Was he not? Who cares? They called it a touchdown. <laughs> and Heinz Ward to Antoine or Antoine Randwell to Heinz Ward on the trick play. I mean, two of the most memorable moments. Willie Parker setting the record too. Really, really a ton of just moments. Like the Cardinals Super Bowl, obviously, is the one that's front and center in your mind, especially for people of our generation because of the drive at the end and you know the James Harrison play. But as I just listed, a lot of big plays happening in that Seahawks Super Bowl. Oh, yeah. Kind of forgotten, I guess, just because of the Santonio Holmes touchdown and the James. Yeah, I mean, like a trick play wide receiver pass to Hunt. That's a pretty cool play in a Super Bowl. Like, you don't see that much. No, especially going for a touchdown. You see a lot of trick plays here and there. Like, people talk about the Philly special for Philadelphia versus New England. Now, that was kind of a David versus Goliath moment, but that was still a trick play. That was still what many consider to be one of the better trick plays, if not the best trick play in Super Bowl history. But before that, I mean, I don't remember, and I and I, I think I remember pretty well all the Super Bowls that we've been alive for. I don't remember a trick play going for a touchdown, especially as far out, for, what, 44, 45 yards outside the end zone like the Steelers did in Super Bowl forty. Yeah, it's insane. So, I mean, and the Willie Parker play, too. I mean, that is the longest right. run in Super Bowl I mean, history. still hasn't been yes. matched. So the best picture of the year award winner in the Oscar in 1983 was Gandhi. Do you ever see Gandhi? I never saw Gandhi. I, I It was played, like, in school. You know how when it's finals week or after finals week, teachers are just playing movies, trying to, like, get you to the end of summer or get you to the start of summer? Gandhi, I think, was playing in my U.S. history class, but I did not pay attention. Michael Jackson also became the first artist to win eight Grammys in 1983 in one night at the Grammy Awards, and Beat It was the record of the year. 
I was not alive for that. How about that? And Toto won album of the year oh, for Toto 4. All right. How about that? A lot of fun facts here uh, from your, 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 your buddy Tom. Yes, a lot of things have changed ago. since 1983. Uh, hopefully the Steelers can get themselves a win 40 years later uh, in Seattle. But looking at things from Seattle's side uh, of the street, Pete Carroll's like, what, a 1,000 years old? I mean, he's probably the best-looking 80-year-old I've ever seen in my life. I think it's, he's, is he, we did this a couple of weeks ago. We were looking at the yeah, oldest he, coaches. We were looking at Andy He is Reed, the oldest Belichick, coach in the NFL, Carroll. Pete Carroll. He's older than Belichick. He is older than He's 72 years old. He looks insane. Did you see after they beat the Eagles, the backwards hat in the locker room, him going to absolutely bananas on social I mean, media? His, his energy, I mean, I thought his energy when – Seattle was winning that Super Bowl and then got there the second year in a row. I thought his energy, that was like 10 years ago at this point. I thought his energy, like 60, was insane. And now he's 10 years older. He's in his 70s and he still looks the exact same. He's still the fiery, super fiery god that we saw 10 years ago. It's ridiculous. These two coaches, Tomlin and Carroll, they really parallel each other in my minds, too. Honestly, the Seahawks really parallel the Steelers in my eyes as well. You know, they kind of look like Steelers West to me. Uh, two teams trying to navigate the waters of a post-franchise quarterback. Now, the Steelers, theirs retired. Uh, the Seahawks were proactive and decided to move on from theirs, trading Russell Wilson. I mean, the Seahawks are set up for the future, too, because of all the picks they got for Russell Wilson. Yeah, so uh, they were a little bit more proactive with the approach, but still in the same boat. No matter how you got out into the water, you're still in the same boat there. Uh, where you're trying to, you know, turn that page from a guy who won you Super Bowls, uh, took you to Super Bowls. Um, eight and seven teams, you know, both still in the playoff race, almost always still in the playoff race come this time of year. I, I don't know. I just I feel like these two teams are are very similar kind of vibes in my eyes. And and this year it's it's the exact same thing to the point where they're meeting two weeks ago and they have the exact same record. Yeah, I can I can see that. I can see the similarities there. Uh, I just think that when you want to compare two teams that never really play each other, that's just kind of like the habitual thing to do. Let's draw as many comparisons as possible. Uh, but you're absolutely spot on in talking about really the biggest one, which is two teams looking for an identity post their, I don't think it's arguable, their best quarterback in franchise history. We We yeah. talked a lot about Russell Wilson, not just being the best quarterback, but the best player in Seattle Seahawks history. So it's a huge transition that so many teams fail to do. But, and, and I might ruffle some feathers here, but obviously Pete Carroll is doing a great job in Seattle in the post Russell Wilson era. He now is in his second season. He'll probably make the playoffs for the second straight time. Even if you don't love Mike Tomlin, even if you're one of those people who is calling for Mike Tomlin to be gone after this season, if not gone after the next season when his contract's up, Mike Tomlin keeping this team afloat. I mean, yeah, he didn't make it to the playoffs last year, but with a rookie quarterback and Mitch Trubisky, now in hindsight, knowing you had to go out with him for a couple of games, you still managed to get a winning season. This year, it looks like you have... Two games left, you got to win out, or you got to win at least one to get another winning season, and you could be in the position to make the playoffs. I know a lot of people aren't happy with just a nine, another 9-8 nine and eight record, a wild card appearance, and a, and a blowout loss like this is the last time they were in the playoffs when they 
went to Arrowhead and got romped by the Chiefs. But two coaches doing much better than many franchises have done in the history of the league when they have to move on to their franchise quarterback. I mean, Bill Belichick, Tom, many wanted to many, many wanted to label as the best coach in NFL history. Look at what he's done in his now three seasons without Tom Brady. Oh, it's a tough, tough road to hoe when you lose that guy. Uh, but yeah, Pete and, and Tomlin have both done better than I think people might have even expected them to do. Um, especially because like neither has found their franchise guy yet either. Right. Like, and I think I think more people are willing to give credit to Pete Carroll because when you trade away Russell Wilson, it's not like how you mentioned Ben retired. Yeah, I mean they were ready to roll with Drew Locke and Russell or Drew Locke and Geno Smith at the time. People thought they were blowing it up and, and tanking. Tanking, yeah. yeah. You have all those picks, you know, just set yourself up for the future, lose early on, and then you can get a guy and then build around him through the draft. But there was one problem with that plan and the problem was the head coach. Like you I don't think with a Pete Carroll with a Mike Tomlin, you can't really blow things up the tank because they're just not gonna let you. They don't let you bottom out. No, I mean Pete Carroll obviously has more head coaching experience than Mike Tomlin. Didn't bottom out dating back to college you mean the Patriots. Yes, right. I mean and before college too, yeah. Right. Right. Because he was with the Patriots, didn't bottom out with that team. Certainly didn't bond him out with USC, and now when he came into Seattle, immediately turned things around. I think he's a Hall of Fame coach as well. Uh, Mike Tomlin's going in. Yeah, I think Pete Carroll should too. Don't you? I'm with you, 100%. especially when you when you. I mean, I know it's the Pro Football Hall of Fame, but how can you ignore the fact that he also built one of the the craziest powers in college football history too? Yeah, one of the best teams ever assembled uh, in college football history. That USC squad and the early 2000s but even disregarding his his time yeah you're right and you have to because it's the pro football hall of fame it's the pro the pro football resume just adds to it it's just or it doesn't add to it It, it, yeah i think we'll get into both the the college football hall of fame and the pro football i mean maybe the sanctions against usc who knows um but certainly for the pro football hall of fame the way he turned things around and the way he's kept things consistent in seattle they, there was never a bottoming out. I think, I think I could be wrong, but I think they only missed the playoffs like once or twice with Russell Wilson. And then, like we mentioned just now, you trade away your best player in franchise history, and then you're doing better than the team that you traded that guy to. Yeah, no question about it. And it started it started out immediately with that being true because they right. be, they was, beat him head to head in Seattle week one of last year. Week one, yeah, right. Uh Geno Smith, let's talk about him. Uh last year was the big breakout year for him. Uh surprised everybody. You know, first of all, it was a surprise that he even won out over Drew Locke because you were thinking Drew Locke's part of that trade for Russell Wilson. He's gonna get the first crack at things to be the starter in Seattle. If he doesn't work out, then oh well, we just draft somebody. But all of a sudden, Geno Smith wins the job, and you know like, maybe we shouldn't have been surprised because that's Pete Carroll, right? Remember Matt Flynn versus Russell Wilson? Matt Flynn signs this giant contract to come to Seattle after. I start- thought Matt Flynn was the guy. Yeah, he started like one game with Green guy. Bay, he threw like five touchdowns or something crazy in that game. 
Uh, he was the yeah. backup to Rodgers. Um, obviously, Rodgers comes back. Flynn goes back to the bench, but everybody notices him. So the Seahawks make a move to make him their guy, or at least their guy for the next couple of years. Then they draft this kid out of uh, NC State slash Wisconsin in like the fourth or fifth round it was. You know, maybe he's he take a long shot on him, and then he's starting week one for the Seahawks. So, you know, he's not – Pete Carroll's not opposed to these surprising quarterback uh, decisions, and he's not opposed to letting a quarterback battle actually – you know, be a battle and giving it to someone who he views beats out even the guy who's preconceived to be the starter. Uh, so Geno Smith starts last year. They win 10 games. They go to the playoffs. He looks great. This year, you know, the numbers aren't eye-popping, but they're not terrible either. 3,145 yards, uh, 17 touchdowns, nine interceptions. His QBR of 57.7 is 14th in the league. So just a bit above the, the middle of the league as far as quarterbacks are concerned. He's had some injury problems this year, but... You know, he's 33 years old. He's clearly worse this year than he was last year. That trend's probably going to keep continuing. Um, I, they're going to have to – Drew Locke's only been in the league for four years. Maybe he gets a shot eventually. But, you know, as good as Geno has been and as good of a story this is, and he's going to get to the playoffs for two straight years, maybe he does it again next year. Uh, the sands of the hourglass of Geno Smith are, are running through pretty fast. I, I can't imagine yeah. he has many more years ahead of him in the league at the, a level like this. No, I'm, I'm with you, Tom. I think that it's a great story. I think him winning comeback player of the year was something that everyone liked to see. I think it was a great story. But I'm with you. You know, the magic can only be magic for so long. And like you said, he's he is old. He's not the guy that was drafted by the Jets, and it's been three years since, and now he's still in his early 20s to mid-20s on Seattle. He's in his mid He's in his mid-30s now. He's clearly not the once super spry guy coming out of West Virginia. You have to just – and I think Pete Carroll is capable of doing this. You have to kind of identify when the right time to move on from Geno Smith is going to be if he continues to show these declines in his game from season to season. I don't expect Pete Carroll to just be clinging on to, to – Gino and juice every last bit of good football he can out of him because I think there's very little left in that tank. It might be as soon as next year we see a different starting quarterback in Seattle. I don't know, but the way Gino Smith has been playing this year compared to last year, especially has to consider with the talent surrounding him on offense and defense, you don't want to waste that team. You know, people in Pittsburgh will point out, you know, there's a great defense in Pittsburgh and there was great offensive weapons in Pittsburgh and the quarterback play has not been playing up to a point that is taking advantage of that great assembled roster that you have or presumed great rather. So I think people in Seattle could say the same thing. Like, yes, Gino Smith, we have to give him credit. We have to give him thanks for doing what he did coming in, in this scenario, but there is always the appropriate time to move on. I don't know when that time will be for the Seattle Seahawks. It's not going to be this week, but eventually they'll have to move on. But looking at this week, Tom, just because we've been talking about him kind of losing steam doesn't mean I'm all of a sudden not worried at all about this game. I, I still think he's a huge threat for the Seattle Seahawks and a huge uh, favor or asset to them to win this game. Is Seattle better than their 8-7 and seven record? They I don't think so. Really? I, I, I don't I, I say no. I think eight and seven I think if you're eight and seven, that's a pretty good indication of who you are. 
They have the fourth toughest schedule in the NFL, and I don't think they have any bad losses. I really don't. Uh, I'll I'll list them for you right now. Maybe the one that I maybe give you to is the Rams at home, but that's the first week of the year, and the Rams are a playoff team too. Uh, at Cincinnati by four points, Burrow was healthy back then. Bengals were starting to turn things around. Uh, they got blown out by the Ravens in Baltimore, but the Ravens are the best team in football. Uh, then they lose at L.A. to the Rams by one point. Uh, again, they just have their number. And then they lose to the Niners twice and the Cowboys, both uh, the Cowboys on the road in a shootout. I mean, there's not a bad loss in that bunch. No, but I'll give you some some of those wins. Yeah, you know, okay. Now no I'll, I'll give you. I'll talk to you about bad wins. Yeah, I will for them for sure. Panthers, and, and not, Giants, not bad wins, Commanders, close wins, close wins. Ten only ten points above the Panthers. Uh, only ten points above the Cardinals. Uh, granted, the Steelers lost to the Cardinals, <laughs> but you should be able to win three points to the Commanders, right? I mean, I I mean I'm with you. I don't think they have any bad lo- three points against the Titans. Yeah, three points. Like, yes, they're not losing the games they should be losing but they're not blowing out the teams they should be blowing out either. All those games that we I just mentioned, the Titans, the Commanders, the Cardinals, the Panthers, those are all teams. If Seattle is really better than their 8-7 and seven record indicates, they should be larger uh, – they should be larger wins than just 10 points maximum. Yeah, but what a weird team because they do have some really nice wins too. At Detroit. Yeah, they do. They do. Against they do. the Browns and against the Eagles. I mean, it, it's a very very weird season for the the, the Seahawks. That four-game losing streak, uh losing five of uh six games. I mean, that that stretch was was Ravens, Commanders, Rams, Niners, Cowboys, Niners, and the Commanders was the only win in that stretch. I mean, that's a brutal brutal no, run. Terrible. Terrible. So and honestly, they should have lost another one. Uh, they them getting that win against the Eagles was massive. That's why I was yeah. so surprised to see them struggle with Tennessee because I really thought once they you know kind of got themselves off the mat and beat the Eagles, they would just roll through the next three opponents. But that was not the case. And you know what? In, in the NFL, traveling to Tennessee from Seattle is probably a pretty tricky road trip. Definitely, and you know and Tennessee's I'll, I'll physical. Tennessee's time. like you don't want to play a variable team still, even though they're out of it. They're just gonna be they're gonna be tough to play against. They're gonna hurt right. you. They're gonna be physical. It's gonna suck. You I'll still you still have to tackle Derrick Henry like twenty times. Right. I'll turn the attention to another team that we're that we've been talking about all season long with in regards to the Seahawks, but need to spotlight more here. The Rams. You can't get swept by the Rams. I understand Week One. Sure, everything is fluky. We we've even gone as far as to say that first month of September of football. You can't really consider anything legitimate just because so many teams are trying to get their feet under them. You don't really know when a team is really themselves until October, November. But that second matchup against the Rams, they had a chance to win the game. They did it. You can't, I just, I'm not saying that the Seahawks are frauds because they got swept by the Rams. The Rams are a playoff team. But if they're a playoff team, you know, what's the best indication that you're also valid as a playoff team you beat those other playoff teams. And the fact that they got swept by this division opponent, that's a huge, huge, huge setback for this team. No doubt. I mean, it's the reason why the Rams are in the playoffs right now is their success right? yeah. against Seattle. And and honestly, the reason why Seattle's not just maybe already clinched a wild card spot in the NFC. I uh, mean, what, what's really I mean, if Dallas is clinched, if Seattle just beats the Rams twice, they might have clinched by now. What's really bad for the Seahawks' favor is that they're one on four in division play. They're one win coming against Ooh. the Cardinals and all four losses being swept by the Niners and the Rams, the two only other playoff teams in that division. How about the Steelers are four and one in the North, by the way? How, 
How about the the Bengals are zero and five? Zero and five. And the Steelers are four and one. Four and one in the North. I I for sure thought they were going to go three and three against the North. Uh, four and one is amazing. It really is. And and if, even if they lose that game to Baltimore, a four and two record against this division is is really well done. I mean, um, you know, you can I, say hey, that that's... oh, four and two is only one game better than three and three. When you really pay attention to football, you know the difference between going three and three and four and two in your division. And I know that's something that Tomlin still has in his bag for sure is beating up on the AFC North. He knows how to play AFC Definitely. North. He knows how to play this division. And you know what, Tom? Let's, let's not discount this team's ability to go into Baltimore in week 18 and win that game and go five and one in the division. Well, I wouldn't discount it even if the Ravens were playing for something just because of the nature of the rivalry, but I would certainly favor it if the Ravens win next week against Miami and don't play anybody. I mean, I think the Steelers would, would be favored in that game at M and T bank. Sorry. I may have been uh, confused or been confusing in my statement there. I'm saying let's not count out the possibility that they go five and one in the division this year. Oh, absolutely. I think that that's, that's, I don't want to say it's more likely than not, but it's trending in that direction. Talk to me next week after we see the result yeah. of that Ravens Dolphins. I mean, you got it. You got it. Like we said, like we've been saying all week, you got to do a lot of scoreboard watching now uh, with your with your position being out of the playoffs, but still being mathematically alive. You got to do a lot of scoreboard watching. That's one game, certainly, the Steelers have to pay attention to is that Baltimore game this week. The DK Metcalf versus Joey Porter Jr. matchup. We'll get into a lot more matchup stuff on Friday's episodes, but that's the one that's so intriguing to me. And like I mentioned before, it's just exciting to finally have that shutdown corner. And, and, you know, each week you get to look at the roster of the other team and say, oh, here's the number one wide receiver. All right, let's see how Joey Porter Jr. does against him. Um, Last week, Joey Porter Jr. had T. Higgins. Now, you look at the box score, T. Higgins had five catches for 140 yards and a touchdown, but most of it Joey on that Porter touchdown. Joey Porter Jr. was not the lead defender on those I'm getting plays, there. Uh, boy, I'm getting there. I mean, okay, Jesus. Okay, okay. On 32 of 40 routes, uh, 32 of 40 routes that T. Higgins went out on, he was covered by Joey Porter Jr., one catch for like 10 yards. So, I mean, right. he continues to just impress, matched up against the league's elites when it comes to wide receivers uh he's now taken out both of the Bengals' big threats he took out jamar chase in the first meeting now chase did have that one catch on him that's gonna happen with freaks like chase you're gonna get but that was a, a couple catches ball. yes Don't it was it was a tip ball no 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 jamar i'm chase talking about the sideline one you remember the sideline one where he had the mouthpiece in his hand that was unbelievable oh, right. that right, was right, just right. that was just jamar chase being a freak but you're right the other two that added to his 100 yard performance were all on tip passes uh, and then he just completely shuts down T. Higgins in this game. And, you know, if you want to question about the long uh, play, just look at the film. It is such a clear zone coverage from the Steelers' defense. Uh, Porter doesn't even pretend to cover Higgins for, like, a second. So uh, what a phenomenal job he did again this week. Uh, the physicality of D.K. Metcalf is something I'm very interested in. Michael Pittman was kind of more of a physical type of receiver that Joey Porter Jr. faced briefly before he left with injury against the Colts. I'm excited to see what this specimen uh, does with Joey Porter Jr. because Porter Jr. is known as one of the more physical defensive backs already in football. Yes. But this is just a, I mean, this this guy was sculpted from the gods. I mean, he could be a statue in a museum right now and it would look immaculate. And and it's not just for show. Like, he uses this, right. his his impressive body frame and, and his impressive... Um, you know, size and strength is utilized in the way he plays receiver. That kind of worries me, Tom, because, you know, we've been monitoring this Joey Porter Jr. trend of getting flags against his favor. 
I'm a little worried that despite Joey Porter Jr.'s physicality, DK Metcalf, as you mentioned, is just that much bigger, that much stronger, that Joey Porter Jr. might be called for some of these holding plays or some of these pass interference plays that not necessarily are his fault. You know, sometimes the ref just favor the offense, but that worries me in this game specifically because of this size mismatch. I don't want to say that Joey Porter Jr. is entirely mismatched against DK Metcalf, but like you just laid out, DK is one of the biggest dudes in the NFL, regardless of position. I mean, he could he could be out there as a linebacker if if he really wanted to. He's that big and that physical. So that kind of worries me because we've been monitoring this all season long, saying, well, eventually, you know, the name recognition will get around there and, and refs will give the benefit of the doubt to JPJ. But now that he's going up against this big physical receiver, I'm sure what will happen is the refs will say, well, Joey Porter Jr. is just so much smaller than DK Metcalf. He's going to have to hold him. Let's just call that flat because that's what we assumed happened. One thing about DK, though, is he is a bit ornery. He can get a little upset. He can get a little emotional on the field, maybe get goaded into a, a personal foul penalty of his own. And Joey Porter Jr., I don't think he's adverse to trash talking in his young NFL career. So uh, maybe you're able to get into DK's head a little bit. Uh, I I don't think that is uh, a strategy that can be taken you know, for granted. I think that's something that could work in this game. Yeah, you know, and obviously Joey And you've Porter seen Jr. that on your – and you know what? You've seen that with Pittsburgh with George Pickens. You know, teams get in his head. They shut him down early. He kind of shuts off. I'm not saying – Metcalf has matured a little bit more than Pickens and, and realize and, and I'm not saying you can completely shut him off, but uh, there's some buttons you can push there. Definitely. And, and you know, Joey Porter Jr. obviously has the lineage <laughs> of, of trash talk. Of trash talking. So I, I'm sure that could that could play a factor. We'll get more into Seattle and the matchup on Friday, but now it's time for the Power Rankings, baby. Oh, yeah. Week 17, we got them ranked 1 through 10, 11 through 15, or 13 because Jacob's lazy. We're going to drop them in your face next on the Steelers Standard. With the new Dexcom G7, you can achieve better diabetes results without painful finger sticks. It sends your glucose numbers to your compatible phone or watch so you can always see where you are and where you're heading. See how food and exercise affects your glucose, making it easier to spend more time in range and lower your A1C. Take more control of your diabetes with the number one recommended CGM brand. It's easy to get started today at Dexcom.com. That's Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. Give your glucose alerts and readings from the G7. Do not match symptoms or expectations. Use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com slash compatibility.